It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am joined today by Suzanne Paling. She's principal at Sales Management Services. She's a sales management consultant to small business leaders and author of an award-winning book, The Sales Leader Problem Solver, which is the winner of the USA Book News Award in the business slash sales category for 2016. Congratulations, Susanna. Suzanne, excuse me. <laughs> I should say, I said Suzanne, that's my daughter's name. I'll have to watch that throughout the show. So, Suzanne, welcome to Accelerate. Thank you very much, Andy. So, I may take a minute to fill out that bare bones introduction. You know, how'd you get your start in sales, for instance? I'm a career salesperson and sales manager. And I began my sales career as a field rep covering New England for consumer products companies and then moved into professional publishing where I sold for a period of time and then became a sales manager. So I've just always, always been in sales or sales management right out of college. And 20 years ago, I started my business, Sales Management Services. Mm-hmm. I had sales management advice and assistance to companies looking to increase revenue by improving their sales organization's performance. Great. I mean, yeah, I've done a lot of that same work, too. So we're like, uh, you know, colleagues in that regard. So wanted to sort of lead off talking about, about your book you've written, the, the Sales Leader's Problem Solver. And we had talked before we came on the air about it. A lot of real-world problems that you identify in there. So what that need to be solved by sales managers? What, so what was the impetus to write the book? I took a look at the 15 most common problems that my clients were facing, such as the rep that won't prospect for new business or the rep that spends too much time on social media. And I walk sales leaders through the process of solving the problem. I show them how to clarify the problem, get the facts, create a plan, strategize with their direct supervisor, and then meet with the sales rep. So were there no other books that sort of address this? I haven't seen a book quite like it on the market that goes problem by problem and looks at each problem individually and walks the sales leader through a way to solve the issue. Yeah, one of the things I really enjoyed about it that I'd mentioned before is is that when you identify the the 15 problems, you know, they may be considered by some to be sort of prosaic, but the fact is this is this is the real world problems. You know, if you <laughs> say, you know, day to day as a sales manager, what are the things that you're facing most frequently? You know, the ones that you talk about are are fairly common. So mm-hmm. I wanted to go through a couple of them more in depth because you know, I thought the solutions were kind of interesting and um and we could have a little good discussion about it. So the first one that, that I wanted to talk about was the problem you called the inconsistent sales rep. Yes. So in this, you give an example of Stan, who's sort of, a, mm-hmm. you know, maybe on balance is somebody that hits quota on the year, but but doesn't do it on a consistent basis throughout the year. You know, sort mm-hmm. of is up and down from month to month. So so let me start there, and and because I know a lot of people listen to that and say, okay, well, you know, Stan hits his number for the year. Why is this a problem? You know, why is it an issue if he doesn't 
necessarily mm-hmm. make it, you know, let's say six months out of the year, he makes quota and six months he doesn't, but on the balance for the year, he's making quota for the year. So, so why is that a problem for sales managers? It's a problem for a couple of reasons. At year end, someone like Stan might make their number, but typically they just make it. And, and is that the, a problem? It's a problem because the sales leader can't really count on them ever. They're either the big hero or they're the goat. And this leads to a lot of inconsistency month by month and quarter by quarter. So where this rep Stan may come in for the year, he misses probably several quarters worth of business. This might cost people bonuses and the group and and possibly even the sales leader. It also sets a tone for the rest of the sales staff. When this happens constantly, the sales staff understands that it's okay. You can be really wild, really up and down with your sales. As long as you make it at the end of the year, everything's all right. And it really isn't. And that's not how most sales leaders want their sales organization to be run. Yeah, well, I, I, it's sort of curious because, you know, I was thinking about it as well. Is, is you know, If you look at your sales team, let's say you've got five or ten reps, you know, you're a mm-hmm. small, small company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, statistically, you may only have four of them that are hitting quota mm-hmm. in general. So the fact that you have one that's hitting quota, but it's not in a manner that that is consistent or necessarily as predictable, which is a very valid point, you know, in terms of predictability. Mm-hmm. But they're still doing it. Isn't that something to be, you know, managed but not really dire? I agree with you. It isn't probably the most dire problem the sales manager faces. And what I say in that chapter, particularly about a sales rep like Stan, is most sales leaders don't want to chase Stan off because he's proven time and time again that he can sell. But he's a bad example to the other reps, and he often leaves the sales leader hanging, wondering whether or not they'll make their number for the quarter or even the year sometimes. It's a bad position to be in. And I try to walk the sales leader through the steps towards talking to Stan, getting him to recognize the issue and working to make it better. Not perfect, but better. And I say in the book, a rep like Stan will always be slightly up and down. There won't be anything you can do to make it perfect, but you can try to improve the situation. Yeah. So um, then you, all right. So let's let's go through your process first. Then I want to come back. I have a couple more questions about that that I I uh, I'm curious about. But so you sort of talked about this before. Is one is is you have a sort of standard process, which I think is really good for sales managers to have developed a process for how they address problems. And you talked about summarizing the problem, analyzing patterns. So why don't, you, why don't you step people through that so they understand as a manager how you start addressing the problems you find. Sure. The first step is to clarify the problem. With a rep like Stan, you have to understand exactly what you're dealing with because you want to zero in on it. There may be a number of things you don't like about him in terms of his abilities as a rep, but you need to figure out what is that one problem where you want to focus your efforts and figure out what that is. And the next thing you want to do is gather data on it. And so assemble the data that shows you exactly what is happening with Stan. And when I suggest this to my clients, they always say to me, I know the numbers backwards and forwards. I don't need any help. I know the numbers. And what I encourage them to do is look at the numbers in a different way, spin them, talk to other people, 
ask them what kind of reports they run and get a full look at what's happening. All the time, people say to me, you know, when they look at different reports and spin the data a little bit differently, they'll say to me, I had no idea, or I really never knew, or this came as a big surprise to me. So after you've run the data, I tell people to pretend there are no office politics, pretend you can do whatever you want and solve the problem for yourself. What would you do if no one could tell you no? How would you go about solving this problem? And then go through the process of writing it down. Use the fa- some of the facts and figures that you've put together and create a, a supporting report for how you would go about solving the problem. And then bring it to your direct supervisor. Or if you're the CEO, owner of the company, perhaps bring it to a round table or a board of directors and yep. say, this, this is our problem. And this is how I recommend solving it. What I also tell people to look out for is being too protective of the report. They've put a lot of time and effort into creating it. They're nervous about approaching a supervisor about it. They get closer to it than they think. And be prepared to compromise a little bit. Okay. What I I often find is the CEO, the business owner, the president is one or two levels above the sales leader and sees things from a different vantage point. And they might have some suggestions and some good ideas that you haven't even thought of. Yeah, I think oftentimes in terms of... Yeah. I keep hitting my microphone, sorry. It's it's times in terms of, yeah, corporate culture and how they treat people and how they want people to be treated that, yeah, it's really important to get a different perspective from your own as a sales manager. Yeah, they often have some very good ideas. And together, work out a solution that both parties can get excited about, that both parties um, can feel that is acceptable to both of them. And then go about the process of speaking to the rep at that point and not before. Okay. So one of the questions I had is is mm-hmm. back on sort of the inconsistency is, is you talk mm-hmm. about um, if reps are, you know, deviate between, you know, achieving their monthly goal and missing their monthly goal. Mm-hmm. And you, you said without consequences. So I, I sort of curious about that. So what, what consequences do you think there should be for somebody that on balance is making it, but you know, is not doing it uh, perhaps in the way the manager would like to see in terms of a more predictable uh, month to month achievement? So it depends on the length of the sales cycle. Not all companies are the same, but I suggest that you say to them, if you are, if you go two months in a row without making quota or you're not at the group average, you will be put on probation. So even if there's somebody that maybe have been there for a company for five years and they've always made quota in the end, but they're not, they're not uh, you know, consistent doing it. They're not consistent. And you also have to look at the fact that they might make quota in the end. But the other people in the group might be ahead of quota by 20, 30, or 40 percent. So in the end, with the big dips that this person takes, might they be costing you money and themselves money and commission as well? Well, I guess it depends how your commission plan is structured, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's not done on a you know percent of annual achievement, but it's done on a monthly basis, I guess, yeah, they could be costing themselves money. Yeah, and the company. And again, the bad example, which really comes home. Salespeople tend to imitate each other. 
And when they see a rep who goes on this roller coaster ride without any consequences, they interpret that as perfectly reasonable behavior. But isn't one of the more common problems, though, that that certainly I see is when I work with companies is that, you know, it's not that people are emulating the inconsistent rep is that, as we sort of mentioned before, is that, you know, you take the standard Pareto distribution of, of um, you know, any sales forces, you're going to have <laughs> probably majority that aren't making quota. So you see this, I'm sure, all the time is there's lots of people that are on staff that are well past their expiration date. Mm-hmm. So those are more the bad example, though, right? I mean, I, to me, if when I was trying to prioritize, looking, reading, sort of through this and saying, okay, let's prioritize. Yeah, I'd really prioritize that mediocre sales rep, which is another chapter you have about how to deal with those that just aren't good. Mm-hmm. And they can sometimes just make or just miss quota too. For the reps that are consistently not achieving quota, I think that's a a different problem, and Andy, sometimes easier to solve. Most companies have some kind of policies and procedures for putting people on warning when they aren't making quota. The problems I tend to look at are the trickier ones where you want to save this rep, but they're, they're causing harm. You know, in the case of the inconsistent rep or the mediocre rep, there are problems with having a rep like that on the staff. Well, I think that just for last point on that one, then we're going to move on to another one. Is, is so, so quantify, if you can, what the harm is that you think the inconsistency is, is creating for the, the company. And setting aside you know, the fact there may be seasonal bonuses, plans, or you know, things like that for, yes. for managers. But in terms of the business and the company itself, in your mind, what is, you know, quantify that harm that happens when through an inconsistent rep. The sales leader is always panicked about whether or not they're going to hit their number. And often, or sometimes, hitting their number depends on this up and down rep coming through. It sets a precedence for the other reps because they do watch and emulate each other. Mm -hmm. And though they might make quota in the end, they may be missing a lot of additional revenue through their dips. You know, during their really down periods, they may be missing sales altogether that they could close if they were more consistent in their approach and had an understanding of why they dip and the way they go up and down the way they do. You know, what is it about that behavior that's driving them? Well, have you found through your work and through your research for the book that and that there were some common causes for inconsistent sales reps that, you know, on one month off the next One of the causes that I found was they tended to really wear themselves out. If they had a really, really good month, the energy level or a quarter, the energy level for the next month or a quarter really wasn't there. And it took them some time to recover and and get back up to speed. That was after a good month or good quarter. Likewise, if they had really bad sales, they had a hard time recovering the way other salespeople do. It took them longer to recover, longer to uh, set the new and better pace for themselves. Okay, okay. All right, so let's let's jump on to the next one. So the next one uh, was one that sort of near and dear to my heart is uh, CRM noncompliance. Yes. Now, again, I think people may be reading, scanning the, the title of, or the chapter of, chapter list may say, hmm, but this is this is a real problem. 
It is a real problem. And, and it's widespread. So why do you think these days after, gosh, you know, we look at Serum has been around for 20, 30 years now. It's certainly oh, yeah. it's more current iteration, certainly the last mm -hmm. 10, 15, pretty widespread. Why is compliance still such an issue? If you put notes into the CRM system, you are held accountable to those notes. If you leave sort of a, a less specific trail, you're not held as accountable or it, it seems more mysterious or the notes are hard to interpret. Likewise, with a sales forecast or a pipeline, the less information you put in there, the less you can be questioned. So, so people just, and I think this is, is a point for managers that are listening to the show to understand, is that reps, you know, one of the issues is reps, yeah, just they don't want anybody to see the sausage being made. That's correct. They don't want the accountability. So it's always sort of ironic, right? Because the reason that that people get into sales in the first place compared to working a you know standard sort of nine-to-five desk job is that they are accountable for exactly what they're doing, right? That their ability to earn, right? Mm -hmm. I'm attracted to sales because I can earn more money or I know that the my success is based directly on what I do and the effort I put into it as opposed to, and it's very clear what I did, as opposed mm -hmm. to, you know, working as a traditional desk job where it's, you know, my contribution, I'm part of a team, maybe I, my specific contribution can't be measured the same way. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the appeals of sales, but on the other hand is then they don't want to help be accountable for the details, as you said. They don't. And likewise, if you have to fill out whether you won or lost the sale, it begs the question, well, if you lost, why? And that's another detail they like to keep kind of murky. Well, we lost to so-and-so, or you know, they decided to stay with the status quo, what they currently use. Well, that may or may not be true. They don't want to put a lot of detail in about the loss of the sale. So it seems like sort of the flip side to the not wanting to be held accountable is, is and may phrased a little bit differently for many sales professionals, is that they see the CRM system as just sort of an instrument of command and control by management. Mm -hmm. It's another way to spy on me, uh, another way to criticize me, another way to hold me accountable when I'm not always responsible for all the problems and all the issues that go on. Right. So if, if one of the issues, sort of driving issues, which I believe it is, in CRM non-compliance and reps not using it fully, not entering in their call notes and call records, so on, is that they don't see what's in it for them. Right. I mean, similar exactly. to prospects, right? And prospects never going to buy something from you if they don't see what's in it for them. So what should managers be doing um, in order to make the reps understand that what's in it for them and the value to them of making sure they're they're using the CRM system the way that you've intended it to be used? It's a good question. A lot of times in each chapter in the book, I talk about how the problem gets started to begin with. And especially in the case of CRM noncompliance, a lot of that starts in the hiring phases. And what I recommend is that sales leaders ask a lot of questions during the interview process about the rep's current CRM usage and how they view CRM and that they have policy and procedures set up to uh, about compliance to CRM that the rep understands before coming on board. 
I also recommend that different people throughout the company speak to the reps about how they might use CRM and some of the information within and how valuable it is to them. The I suggest that sales leaders, company leaders always have the CRM open and, and use it when they're speaking to the rep, and whether it be on Skype, face-to-face, what have you. So they're always looking at it, using the information, utilizing it. And last but not least, calling the rep on it right away. You didn't put the notes in for XYZ company. Where are they? You have to be diligent and you have to remind them right away to put those in. Those notes are important to me, the marketing director, the product manager, the CFO. We need to see those notes. Yeah, well, I think, and that's, yeah, okay, several several things in there we'll, we'll unpack and, and get to it because I think good mm-hmm. points. I mean, I think first and foremost is that, you know, there's one thing with, and it's an evolution. <laughs> sorry, to, sorry to stumble over my sentence there, but, you know, mm-hmm. it's an evolution of how we're reviewing CRM is that, and sales in general is that reps have to understand that account information doesn't belong to them. You know, where reps and sales reps and sales professionals are pretty portable in terms of their ability to change between companies. Uh-huh. And in the past, that Rolodex, those contacts, that always used to be their information, right? That's how they sort of saw themselves protecting their position. Uh-huh. But now we've got this greater transparency, and they really need to understand that this is... This corporate this this account information is a corporate asset. It's not their personal property. Good point. Uh, and you know, secondly, uh, as you talked about in terms of policies and hiring, is I think you need to make sure that people understand that using it per the policy that you've set up is really a condition of employment. Yes. I mean, this is when I work with companies, and I've had CR multiple CEOs ask me about this. Is I'm fairly straightforward about it. You know, it's not. It's okay if you're partially compliant. You know, you there's a reason we're using it, and if we're not using a tool like a front end tool, like a sales development platform or something else that they rep uses as part of their job that automatically populates um, CRM, and they have to go in and enter the call notes, you got to do it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's there's a reason, and there's really no question. Yeah, it's part of your job. I also think that reps, like anyone, get close to their customers, emotionally close, because they're calling on them on a regular basis. And let's say they usually talk to them every week or so, and a month has gone by, and they haven't spoken to a particular decision maker at a company they call on regularly. The sales leader, the CEO, someone might notice that and think, hmm, what's going on there? You know, where they can come in and maybe take corrective action. But if they don't know, if they're just left in the dark, they're not sure what's going on. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so that that sort of raises a point and one that you know I see time and time and time again is that it's not just rep compliance with CRM, but you know that's not used by senior management. You know, maybe what? the sales manager is using it, but if they mm-hmm. report to a you know VP of sales or VP of sales marketing and they report to the owner or the CEO. Yeah, starting at the top, oftentimes just not used at all. And I've seen the other examples where I've you know worked with companies where CEOs are on top of it day in and day out, but yeah, oftentimes just not. No, it's true. And in the book I talk about, you know, little steps you can take to improve the situation. And let's say the CEO meets all of the reps yeah, during the interview process. Have his or her computer open to the CRM system. 
so that the rep sees that they clearly use it. Right. Yeah, and have them, I mean, there's certain things that CEOs should be checking in there anyway, and especially in small business, and they shouldn't be that far removed from the sales process that they're not no. not involved with the CRM system. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had an example of a client I, I talked about in a book about, you know, brought me in because they were having a hard time with sales lead follow-up. And mm-hmm. and it's taking them days if, if they followed up on the leads at all. And, and I said, well, I'll fix the problem in five minutes. <laughs> yeah, we went to sales admin and said, look, you're going to enter the leads in sales operations, and you're going to distribute them by the territory to these reps. And turned to the CEO, and I said, at 4.30 every day, you're going to get on the CRM system and check to make sure they all got followed up. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, <laughs> oh, I'm going to use the CRM system. And yeah, the problem was solved instantly. I agree. You know, and I in the book, I say, if the marketing manager needs some information that isn't in there and needs it from one of the reps, have the marketing manager call them directly once in a while. Imagine the impact that makes. Sure. Well, especially in a, a smaller company, if they're selling you know, something that's relatively high value. Yeah, I mm-hmm. worked with one client that small company, what they sold was you know, an average of maybe $35,000 yeah. per sale. That's not insignificant. People want to know what's happening on those deals. And you can't help the rep if you can't understand and you don't have the background of what's really going on. Um, so I thought interesting point you made is so a key thing that that is not usually done in companies is they don't define what needs to be entered and how it needs to be entered. Correct. So spend a minute on that. One of the things I talk about is that one person's note is not another person's note. If I leave in the notes section, um, left voicemail, we'll call back in a few days. Maybe to me, I've said all I had to say. Whereas another person might say, I left a voicemail message. It's the third one I've left in two weeks. I'm having trouble getting a hold of this decision maker, and I'm not sure what the problem is. Those are two entirely different notes. And so what I suggest that people do is work with the one or two people that leave the best notes in the CRM system. And take some of their notes and put them into your training manual, policies and procedures manual, and show people what you mean by what a good note is. I also say that inside sales reps generally tend to leave better notes than outside sales reps. And so if you've got someone who's really particularly good at it, you know, utilize their notes and give it as an example to others. Yeah, well, I think that's a great idea is... is just don't assume that people know what you're talking about when you say, hey, leave a, leave a note, you know, record the call, tell what happened. Yeah, unless you're really specific as a manager. And this is not assuming that your, your sales professionals are, are dumb. It's just they don't know. So, yeah, spell it out for them what the expectation is in terms of what comprises a good note and yes. what level of detail that you expect in there. And yeah. then... And call them on it quickly. If there's not enough information there. Right. But they say, oh, okay, you know, that's okay. And also don't forget to use the quarterly review and commission and bonus. Take part of the bonus and make it around, uh, put CRM compliance in there. Sure. Make that part of the bonus. You know, when I was an on the road sales rep for many years, part of my year end bonus um, was dedicated to did I keep my company car clean? 
<laughs> and a lot of Interesting. People, I, a lot of people didn't, and I didn't want to miss out. So I made sure every time the uh, regional sales this manager, manager came by, yours was clean, right? Yeah, it was vacuumed <laughs> out and looked ship shape. So, so was, it, was it actually a company car or was it your car? Oh, no, it was a company car. Okay. And make sure it looks good. You know, yeah. make sure that they know you're taking care of company property because that's yes. what it is. The CRM is company property, really. Sure. And Absolutely. Take good, take good care of it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think uh, <laughs> I was laughing. I was thinking maybe it was your own personal car initially, but. Oh, no. The only thing my boss is, my first job wanted me to do with my car was burn it. So, uh, <laughs> but that was my car. Yeah, because when I got hired, my first job out of school is, you know, back in the day when the what your managers really wanted you to do was, was uh, go into debt. So you'd work harder to pay off your debts. Ah, okay. So buying a new car was the perfect way to go do that. So that's very true. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> so the other chapters, and we don't have time to get into them, but just mm-hmm. so people see, is is the problems you identify. You know, the ones I liked is you know, selling only to existing customers. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with having great flow of business from existing customers, but. Yeah, you're probably not going to hit your entire goal that way. No. Uh, unless your job these days is you are purely an account manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, so social media paralysis, we talked about, you know, sometimes, you know, we have got a generation of, of kids that coming into the workforce that we just can't assume that they know how to pick up the phone and use it because they haven't been using the phone the same way that other generations used it when they came into the workforce. So, you know, it needs to be some training to help them uh, deal with things that they're not as comfortable with. Salesperson fiefdom. Oh gosh, seen that a bazillion times. Where I come into a new company or come into a company that I'm working with new, and could have six sales reps, and the two of the reps have eighty percent of the accounts because they were the first two in the door. Happens all the time. Yeah, and business owners, managers just don't understand why it's why it's killing their business. Mm-hmm. Um, trouble with titles. Gosh, another good one that that. Uh, so often you see hiring managers get somebody come in and they just want a title and they think, well, yeah, I can give the title. That's sort of no skin off my back until right. they get three or four other people on board and suddenly everybody wants to be vice president of sales and you think it's just a name on a business card, but it's it can create more trouble than just that. Yeah, it causes real problems. Yeah. So lots of good problems in there. Good book. People should pick up and read it. We'll give uh, Suzanne a chance to tell you in a few minutes how to find out more about it. And Suzanne, now we're in the last segment of the show where I've got some standard questions I've asked all my guests. And the first one is a hypothetical scenario in which you have just been hired as VP of sales by a company whose sales have hit a rough patch. Uh, mm-hmm. Not only they're consistently inconsistent, and the CEO is anxious to sort of hit the reset button, get a sales turnaround going. So what two steps would you take in your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? The first step I would take is to have everyone take an online sales assessment so that I could see who really should be in sales, maybe who should consider another profession, and where they specifically needed help. Okay, so like a a third-party personality assessment, something like that. A sales assessment. Yeah. So, and it would save me six or nine months of getting to know the reps and, and finding out where they were strong and where they had challenges, I would know right away. And the second thing I would do is look at the common challenge across the board. What was the one thing that the whole entire sales staff struggled with? And I would buy them all 
a book, a sales book that dealt with that particular problem. And we'd start reading it chapter by chapter in the staff meetings. Okay. So, um, <laughs> when you say I, not too literal, actually reading, you'd be discussing in the staff meeting or you actually read discussing it? Discussing it, reading, yeah, reading it beforehand and then uh, discussing it in the staff meeting. Okay. So, here's an interesting question about that. This is one I've asked several other guests who have said something similar. So, would you give them time during the business day to read the book? I would not. Because? Because that's something they need to do on their own time. They need to be selling. If they all missed their number and if the company was struggling, we need to spend the day selling. Well, it's an interesting question because increasingly I'm talking to guests and and work with companies that saying, yeah, if we're asking our people to to take on this this task of you know reading and learning and so on, is that shouldn't we be allocating some time in the day to enable them to do that? I would not. No, I'd have them read it in their own time and in a quiet space where they could concentrate and take notes. Okay. All right. So let me. Move on then to some rapid-fire questions. You can give me one-word answers or elaborate if you wish. So when you, Suzanne, are out selling your services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Genuine experience. I have a consulting practice around sales management, but I actually was a sales manager. And so I talk about my real-world experience. Okay. So who's your sales role model? I would say Linda Richardson. She wrote the book, Stop Telling, Start Selling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for me as a young woman, knowing that there was a woman out there who was successful enough in the profession to write a book was very inspiring to me. Okay. Yeah, great role model. Uh, What's other than your own? What's one book you'd recommend every salesperson read? Salesperson or sales manager? Sales manager. Sorry. Proactive Sales Management by Skip Miller. Okay, great book. He's been a guest on the show as well. Okay, and so last question for you today is what music is on your playlist? Gosh. I listen to a lot of uh, Melissa Etheridge, Mm -hmm. Fleetwood Mac, Neil Young, that kind of music. Good, nice, solid 70s and 80s stuff. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay, perfect. Well, Suzanne, thanks for being on the show. Tell folks how they can find out more about you. You can go to my website, www.salesmanagementservices.com. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. Okay, excellent. Well, again, thank you for being on the show. And friends, thank you for spending time with us today. Remember to make a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And easy way to do that is join my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Suzanne Paling, who shared her expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. And if you enjoy Accelerate and the value we're delivering, then please take a quick minute right now to leave your feedback about this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. It would be very much appreciated. So thanks again for joining me. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.